The following conversation is intended for mature audiences only. Those under the age of 18 or without a sense of humor, listener discretion is advised. There are all sorts of ways in which we love to do this. Welcome to the Mate Date Podcast, where we make the dates with our mates in our quarantine lives in the post-apocalyptic corona world we find ourselves in. It's Jay and Brayden here. Did you so say post-apocalyptic? Post-apocalyptic, yeah. The apocalypse has happened. Oh, uh, yeah. What? It's already gone? Well, it's happening. I should say, like, present apocalypse. It's it's an ongoing yeah, right. apocalypse. Well, Thank you for that this... correction. That's a good, right, that's a good yeah. correction. Yeah, it's... Just keeping it clear, you know, it's uh, May 3rd, 2020. It, we're here. We're this here. Is the, the apocalyptic realm. It we is are May 3rd. Residing in. That's it, my friend. May 3rd, as you said, dating this one. And the truth is, on this sacred day, have you paid penance to our Lord and Savior, Captain Cook? <laughs> what? No? No? You haven't Should prayed? Have? You haven't prayed to our national Jesus? figure captain cook the australian it's it's his birthday or it just was as a matter of uh, wait is australia day his birthday no that's when he came here um (laughs) (laughs) i mean it could be imagine that imagine australia day being captain cook's birthday i love that yeah everyone gets a little little cake out and it looks like a little ship (laughs) yeah that's great no but i don't know i don't know if you followed this let me give you the story so like yeah no in our corner (laughs) to give you the background from a couple aussies here What's been going on is that our, our Prime Minister, we just had Australia Day, and it's, of course, the celebration of Captain Cook. And this year was actually the 250th anniversary of uh, that tradition of celebrating that discovery. And uh, the Victorian Health Deputy Minister, I want to say, the, the, the deputy to the uh, health minister in Victoria tweeted out something that was, I'm not going to get this verbatim, but the, the general kind of concise version is that oh, you know, this thing which keeps us all in our houses, you know, stop shopping and, and pushes us all away from our jobs and, and that radically changes our culture. And she's alluding to the coronavirus and then she puts on the end, um, mm. Captain Cook or the coronavirus? Can you tell? Because, of course, Captain Cook is very rightfully criticised for bringing a bunch of diseases to Native Australians and Indigenous mm. Australians. And this is, of course, one of the problems of the pioneers in general, right? Of course they are responsible for all these discoveries and and finding parts of the earth and and mapping out the topology of the earth, right? But they were Western people and they had like absurd and immoral views of other people thinking of them as animals and shit. This was before, like this this is the problem of history more generally, right? But I just mentioned it to say our prime minister is loving Captain Cook. He, He actually spent millions of taxpayer dollars this year to make it a big celebration and uh unfortunately what? yeah i don't well yeah that's it like he really likes captain cook that's why she's it's all that co- money it's caused a I'm whole just learning about it now it, no it's caused a whole news cycle because this person tweeted out the other the opposition were calling for her to be fired 
disrespectful, apparently, to the Captain Cook, uh, heroic George Washington figure that the that he is or something. I don't, I don't know, right? But uh, what's your reaction to that? Like, it's crazy, right? No idea. You're saying it's Captain Cook Day today? No, it's not Captain Cook Day today. The, uh, the, they're asking if you've prayed. I just maybe thought you heard the story, and I was just being uh, a bit cheap. No, not at all. This is all very. This is all fresh news to me. Okay. The, I can't fun. like. I can't name a single thing that like Captain Cook has said. Fun fact, dude. He actually wasn't even a captain. Right. <laughs> What's that about? Is that a nickname? It's just like I guess a, a catchy nickname. But he went from being like a yeah. lieutenant to a commander. He was never a captain. Commander and, Cook, that, that rolls off the tongue too. I mean, it's a, bit, a few more syllables, I guess. It's not right, really right. as Call delicate. Yeah. Not call me cook, no. Nah. Nah. <laughs> he doesn't like that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> and Lieutenant Cook, that's all kinds of oh, fucked up. Yeah. But also he Colonel died. Cook. Colonel, Colonel cook? cook? That's like a cereal, dude. That's like a new brand we've got going. <laughs> should we we should have our, the Mate Date podcast release Colonel Cooks <laughs> with marshmallows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your healthy breakfast supplement. Yeah, there you go. Uh, here's another thing, though. He actually, because of his uh, pioneering tendencies, he, um, I think this was on New Zealand. I could be getting that wrong. I think it was New Zealand. It was in a, Mar- in a, in a very old Maori culture that he was um, finding that land for the first time. And he kidnapped one of the tribe's leaders, or attempted to, rather. And when it failed and went wrong... He uh, got stabbed by the, one of the tribeswomen who were protecting uh, the, this kind of king tribe guy. I'm butchering it terribly. But they actually thought that they ate his body because they cooked the skin. Uh, like the people saw, eyewitnesses saw them cook Captain Cook's body. And oh. <laughs> um, they thought that, the, the, you know, that's why there's the, always the rumor that he's, he was cannibalized. He actually wasn't, though. Apparently they cooked the body so that it's easier to cut up the skin or something. Like they wouldn't have, apparently they wouldn't have eaten the body because in their culture that's seen as like consuming someone's spirit and that's like, you know, that's demon shit. But it's something mm-hmm. like they had to cook it so that they could <laughs> cut off the skin or make something more tender. And it was like just this crazy story like this guy and also our prime minister he actually is the minister for cook so it's no like simula it's like this is simulation breaking it's like this guy is obsessed with captain cook mm-hmm. who is the prime minister who's from the place of cook that he collected it's like what the is, is the prime minister just trying to uh steer us away from focusing on the virus is that what's happening it could be i could be something like that i mean y- have you been maybe follow- to pump up our gratitude towards uh the european influence of our country and right we could be living like savages right now but hey if we were if we were living in isolated tribes at least the virus wouldn't spread right at least if it if it hit a tribe it might clean them out but then all the other tribes are untouched unscathed because they're so isolated right right yeah that's a good point yeah and yeah and in terms of like distracting us, I think a lot of what's going on in our news feeds is is trying to distract us. Like, That's probably the main aim at this point. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think I don't think it's just happening here. I think you're seeing it. I don't know if you're following like the election with Joe Biden. But there's a whole scandal mm-hmm. going on right now about sexual assault and uh, the hypocrisy essentially of the Democratic Party, which he is running with. <laughs> Uh, because they were brutal and vicious in terms of their criticism of sexual assault. It was it was rhetoric like, you know, because this Kavanaugh, the Supreme Judge, was accused of something relating to sexual assault as he was being promoted by Trump to the position of a uh, of that role. Uh, and apparently, um, 
apparently now when this criticism is leveled at Joe Biden, the rhetoric of believe all women is now just believe some women or, you know, believe, oh. believe the women that are politically on your side, but not the ones that are on, like, and so unfortunately for, you know, the person leveling this accusation at Joe Biden, she's not supported at all by the people who were throwing out the believe all women rhetoric. And it's like, oh, okay, so... This is just, yeah, it, I think this has been partially a distraction too to throw this out um, because we're all, you know, invested in the story and we all want to know what happens next in this Shakespearean drama of a media world we've concoct, uh, that we've concocted for ourselves. Like, it's just an absolute, like, mess and nothing gets done behind the scenes. <laughs> like, nothing happens. Um, and this is happening, like, I don't know. So have you been following now the drama between our premier and the prime minister on opening schools, for instance? It's like... Uh, that, yeah, that, I bet there is. Yeah. I haven't actually, if you have any um, information on that, because I, I knew that um, they did, uh, that's basically the point of contention for them. You know, uh, as of now, uh, most Australian states have eased their restrictions, although Victoria and Tasmania have just kind of kept their restrictions, as far as I understand. And I can see Daniel Andrews playing a big part in that, like yeah. keeping it the way it is. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? Like, I, hmm. I don't, Should we eat our restrictions? Is it is it too soon? Is, I, it, is I, it the right time? I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea about like mm. what the correct thing to do is, and it's hard to know who does. And I think you just have to defer to the most experts of experts on that question. I think there has yeah. been something weird going on as well, like with Elon Musk as well, where like even the slightest call to to having to, to basically saying to leaders, hey, we need a plan to be aware of like all the factors here. Like this is hurting the economy. This is doing all sorts of things that I know nothing about. But all the people that I follow who I would think know would something about it are all freaking out because there is irrecoverable damage being done that we're not seeing mm-hmm. to all financial structures right now. And it seems like, and, and, and including schools, because if you schools aren't open, kids are at home, parents can't perhaps you know, do the work they need to do, that affects everything, right? So in terms of is it a is it the right thing to do to insist that schools are open now, I have no idea, but I do know that we should be having very public and loud conversations about, like, what do we do to get out of this? We shouldn't just be all complacent in... Because money's going everywhere, like... And, and the fact that we're not even watching it, we're not even, like, really scrutinising where's this going, is it going to the people that need it the most? I think in Australia, honestly, it's not been too bad, but I, when you look from the outside in to the US, it's been a shit show to say, like, not much at all, and the leaders can't stop congratulating themselves about how well they've done. And it's, it's, right. it's very telling about the kind of leaders that we have now, because... You wouldn't have Churchill, right? You wouldn't have, like, the leaders of the big wars and all these people who were basically put there by necessity because they were the only ones capable. Like, competence used to be the driving factor which chose these people. But we've been right. we've been in the long nap for so long that uh, everyone's gotten sleepy by the wheel. And, like, these grifters and bureaucratic gamesmen have figured out a way to get to the top without having any of the competency or any of the like just respect for the common people the common people that put them there in the first place you know yeah no but uh, so so it's it's these are hard questions and we're not going to answer them but i think uh, (laughs) if listeners can try to just pay attention to the sincere people that are actually doing the work you know people like people that are 
shipping out masks. You know, what do you think about this Elon Musk thing? You must have seen his tirade. I mean, th- I think your reaction to him explains a lot about how you're kind of seeing what's going on. Did you see his his Twitter drama he stirred up for himself? Ah, uh, man. Like, you might have to catch me up. Okay, yes. Yeah, so, so basically, he's gotten himself in a bit of trouble. And a lot of people who were, you know, he was a paragon, you know, yesterday, or like not even that long ago. <laughs> You know, he wants. To, yeah, pe- people want to see him as like this billionaire that's also very human-driven and thinking about the future and sort of romantic about science, like all the things you would really want in a successful individual individual entrepreneur. But he has been tweeting out things like all caps: uh, "Give me freedom! Give us freedom! Release! Release us now!" <laughs> like basically saying, "End the lockdown." And I guess in California, uh, where I think he is, um, I think that's that's been boiling up quite a lot now because they have great weather. At the start of the lockdown, it was, oh, yeah. apparently it was terrible weather. And now that the weather's picked up and like people are going to beaches, there's a whole bunch of things going on about that. Um, and so he has been tweeting out. I yeah. think, look, honestly, it's like I don't know if he should be tweeting it out, but I think the take that a lot of people are having is is that oh fuck elon musk like fuck him now he's <laughs> he's he now has the wrong opinion and therefore fuck him and i think that is so telling about the audience of some of of the news media right because my reaction to it was oh here's this guy that i agree on almost 90 to 95 percent of the way and he's saying something that is that he knows will get him this drama he knows he's <laughs> going to pay a cost to saying it why is he saying it is he saying it just for attention and just for getting his profits back up? Well, no, because he actually tweeted in the tirade, Tesla stocks are too high, IMO, in my opinion, and the stocks fell 10%. And people <laughs> and people replied to him saying, dude, this just cost me like 10 grand. What are you doing? That was an expensive tweet. <laughs> that's the yeah. point. So that's the point I see is that he's willing to go to this extent to, to make this criticism, to make this argument. And... I might not see the merit in that argument. I might not agree with that argument. But you have to respect the the fact that he comes as a package. You don't get the tech green entrepreneur without listening to this part of it too. You don't get to agree with one. And this speaks to yeah. like how people see other people. You don't get to just say, oh, I like this person's you know position here, but they said this, so fuck them. Like, you, have to bring, right. you have to accept people for how They're they are. They're human. Yeah. yeah. We, we, we speculate that Elon Musk is an alien or a robot, but, you know, <laughs> biology and science saying that he's human, so nothing's come up otherwise. Yeah. yeah. Allegedly. Oh, man. That's crazy. Look, doesn't he have five kids? Five boys? I'm pretty sure he does. Like, look that up. I don't know. Look it look up, Look that Jamie. up, Jamie. Get on that. But the thing is, <laughs> if he's got five boys and he's sitting inside, cabin fever might set it. Plus, he's in Cali, California, where the weather's getting hotter. So, I don't know. Living with five boys in the one house, that's going to get a bit that's stuffy, true. no matter how big your house. I'm sure plenty you know? of parents are feeling that, yeah. just like Yeah, so maybe he's get me out. He's just outraged at this point. It's boiling up. He's a kettle. He's boiling up. He's just like any one of us experiencing your typical road rage, your typical um, outburst when things get too high. So, possibly, he's taken to Twitter and thought he'd have a few harmless tweets maybe i don't know and i'm talking it up to he's still a good guy um 
and then yeah, but, like, no, but, but just but I think everything you just said there was great. But like the whole thing, he's still a good guy. I mean, what if he isn't? We don't really know. But that, <laughs> yeah. that's not the point, right. right? The point is, is that if you appreciate his insight in one area, you don't get to say in the other area, oh, he's just a he's just like basically people are saying he's now just being a contrarian or he's just like being anti-science oh. for the sake of being anti-science. It's like. What like you don't get to um, that criticism doesn't hold up for me like and uh, like yeah I'm I'm with you all the way because you don't get to say both those things and actually as he's just said alluded to there is he not allowed to just be human and like sound, <laughs> and sound I guess I guess not like because there was the whole thing not. about you know him joking around that uh, Tesla's going to sell for 420 or whatever and that caused a bunch of Right, right. He he can't be human. He smoked a he joint can't. on Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah. And that was one of the most human things he's ever done. We don't recognize this person anymore. We thought he was an alien. He was one-eyed, kind of on science and everything. And then as soon as he changes his tune a little bit, we go, whoa, hold up. Yeah. This is an Elon Musk that we know. He's changed. He's different. He's not cool anymore. And then, yeah, we start to hate on him. That's when the cancel culture sets in for Elon. Oh, damn. Yeah. But I don't know. He doesn't. He doesn't. I mean, that whole Twitter spiel doesn't affect me. It affect my opinion of him. Like, like I said, I just think that you know, he's probably experienced cabin, cabin fever. And to, to go back on what we were saying before, when is the best time to ease restrictions? And I feel like, you know, you could you should look at a bunch of different factors, but uh, the ones I'm going to mention um, are the weather. Obviously, it's getting hotter over there, less likely to spread this virus. Also, California have done really well um, mitigating the effect of this virus. Apparently, only 3% of cases were in California out of the whole country. So, to me, that says that they've dealt with it fairly well. And to bring things back into motion, you would you can kind of assume and expect that the Californian population will handle this seriously. Otherwise, right. they're back to jail, lockdown, right. to, their, you know, to their homes. So, they know what the punishment is. So, maybe they would exercise a safer conduct and right. conduction of society and, and uh, yeah that should happen right like it has to happen at some mm -hmm. point even over even oh, yeah. down under we have to figure out how to open up but right. and so, and so the weird frustration I'm, I'm still trying to express i think is that like what do you think about putting it this way we need to publicly and loudly discuss the path out but anyone like elon who tries to do that loudly and publicly is completely <laughs> penalized for doing it. And it's like, so what, what are we supposed to do? Because it seems to me that there's a consensus. If you breach the consensus to try and carve out a path forward, you're penalized. Mm. But that is a necessary component to having a fruitful return to any normalcy, yes. right? 100%. I mean, that's what he's trying to do. I don't understand. People are crazy. People are bigoted. Do they have to hear it from a politician? Do they have to hear it from yeah, I an think authoritative? So. Yeah. Is that it? Authoritative Can... sources. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah but, I like, mean, does I... the WHO have to say it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Um, you know, <laughs> I think Elon is suitable for presidency. Sure, why not? Oh, I mean, man. Taking him to the, to the office. Bring, it, bring wow. him up. Him or Trump, I think, honestly. All the way. Musk or Trump. Oh, maybe. Musk or Trump. I would, yeah. Could you imagine? If you don't go Musk, you're insane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Musk over Biden for sure as well. Yeah, what the hell? Yeah. He might have a tough time in the Bible Belt, possibly, Who, where all the rednecks love their cars. Sorry if you're a redneck out there. That's true. But... That's true. But he they go pretty right anyway, like in terms of the extremists 
of of those you know bible thumpers they pretty much go conservative anyway there's no like no chance of really pulling them but elon would pull like all of the reasonable moderate uh conservatives who, who just respect money making right he's a fucking billionaire mm-hmm. like he's gonna and so you'd think there i but then the far left i think would have a problem with him because they they actually just have contempt for all billionaires it's like oh you figured out how to make money in the corrupt capitalist system well therefore by yeah, definition yeah. you're corrupt and yeah. you know crony. <laughs> so you yeah, can't, so can't the, win you can't win the only genuine people are the poor people and they're just seen as crazy people on the street just spreading their gospel spreading their <laughs> spreading their jesus and they got no chance of uh, climbing the ranks i suppose the political patriarchy we need captain cook bring on captain cook <laughs> <laughs> yeah bring him back bring back cook what if you had some wwe music as captain cook rolls in with his hat if you smell what the captain's cooking. <laughs> wow. Wow. The captain's cooking. See, the, with the, uh, the, what was it, the the Maori people, they're cooking them up? Yeah. So maybe they were just thinking that his name was Instructions. Right. So they're like, oh, Captain Cook must cook it. This That's is what it. the divine has ordained. He is to be cooked. Yes. Right. The proof is in the pudding. There's another story yes. out that we both uh, have adjacently kind of talked about we talked about the last of us i think and or maybe we did i don't know we, we both played the last of us it's a great game it's a great yeah uh, great story great acting i think and uh, great characters writing you know all that stuff that relates to themes and if you like that if you like the apocalyptic sort of zombie world uh, theme that's been done quite a bit recently it does it to the best degree you could probably do it i think as a story and basically the whole uh or the all the major narrative points of the second game have been leaked online by a, a quote-unquote disgruntled employee because of the uh, cr- a crunch working standards uh, that were precipitating the game in March and February where they went into that period of if you don't know crunch is like kind of slang for I guess slave labor uh, where g- gaming uh, companies are allowed to essentially get away with employees working for potentially up to weeks on end, sleeping under their desks, uh, and being compelled to by a, cult- a culture at the company that says if you don't do this, you know, you're not as committed or you're not in, you're not involved as much as we are. So we're going to kind of socially isolate you. So it's a weird kind of thing. And now, because of the consequences of that, we all know if you've looked into it, all of the spoilers. And we're not going to mention any spoilers here, just for the record. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I was, yeah. was going to ask. We we didn't really discuss this beforehand but i wasn't sure have you have you come across any like so i actually remember yeah i remember before the video came out there was another leak that i accidentally saw some spoilers for and they were about major characters and this kind of confirms oh they're probably true but i haven't Mm. gone out of my way to confirm them so i'm gonna leave (laughs) all right (laughs) just leave it off in the air (laughs) just keep your head down for the next two months that's it oh the you know, next month, However really, long. six weeks. We're yeah. like six weeks away, yeah. But so, uh, what, what's your take on this, man? Because this is like, this is kind of upsetting for people that really wanted to oh, enjoy man. the game. And it also speaks to another thing where it's like, maybe we really love these games and we want them to come out, but do we want like some sort of Chinese slave, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> conditions? Like, it to just, yeah. it, is it worth it in the end? I don't know. Like, what I, do you... I didn't actually hear if it was from crunch culture or if he was just, I don't know, he wasn't happy with some aspect yeah. of it. Crunch would be... Apparently it was the... really bad. Uh, a person was hospitalized as well. Uh, oh, what? Really? Yeah. Well, it's just like from like, you know, if you're just at your desk and you, you know, you can have some 
episode yeah. blood clot oh, yeah blood know. clot or something yeah yeah so sure. apparently employee was at one point and and just yeah. general kind of like old employees at the company were like i don't want to fucking do this like i'm Too 50 man shit. Yeah, yeah right, right? yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well, do you remember the um all the discussion and discourse around uh red dead redemption 2's crunch yeah yep. you know there was uh uh apparently a hundred hour working weeks things like that I remember, I can't speak on Naughty Dog, but I remember for Rockstar, it wasn't exactly, you know, people were making it out worse than it actually was, but, you know, even the the bosses and stuff were reaching maybe 80 hours, if, I, if I'm recalling correctly, and um, it wasn't the fact that they were forced to do that amount of hours, um, it was more this kind of within the culture of the, the workplace people were shamed almost oh, for yeah. not staying back and uh, working on the game longer you than You weren't living up they're... to the... T- Actually, that's a, that's a crucial thing you just mentioned because a lot yeah. of these uh, companies bond over uh, uh, trauma, the trauma of having to right. commit as a team to this. It's kind of like a war bonding thing, you know, when you're in, yeah. the, tre- you're in the trenches with your soldiers... There is Definitely. no other feeling of human connection that goes beyond this person is responsible for watching my back, right? Um, and it's it sort of hits that level of we are all in this shithole together and we're going to plunge and push until we're all on the other other side, right? It's kind of like... Yeah. yeah. And anyone outside of our circle doesn't understand. Yeah. We've got this kind of shared goal and yeah, definitely I can see that. And then by the end of it, they, you know, they, they go outside and... The games in the wild, and they're looking out. It's all worth looking it. Yeah. Very crazy. Yeah, you know, yeah. I remember um, Sean Murray <laughs> is one of them. Oh, yeah. uh, Corey Barlog. I'm pretty sure. I've, I'm fairly sure my memory serves me correct when I when I think when I remember that they were looking just absolutely uh, sleep deprived and and exhausted from yeah. the work that they put <laughs> yeah. into their their it's project. Crazy. I didn't hear anything on the yeah the crunch culture at Naughty Dog. Well, uh, that really because... sucks, man. And, and honestly, it's just a real shit of a move because if you just leak the game, the game was in like in production for five years, from what I understand. His name hasn't been released public, or she, I don't know. But they their name hasn't been released public or anything. But I'm I'm fairly sure that they know. They okay. would know, they would have to know who who did it. Um, and they they will be handled with uh, and dealt with accordingly. I think so. Oh Whether yeah, hopefully, hopefully they just never work there again. No, like, I think that's I don't it. Know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I wonder if the company could sue them because that's yeah. all of the product. Yeah, that's like potential revenue lost. If you're the employee that gets caught doing that, it feels like you're in real deep shit financially. It's it's interesting you mention um, that it was crunch around what was it January February. Yeah, March as well, I think. Like in, in Kotaku, oh, there, there yeah. was an article, I think it was like in early March, by a Jason, uh, what's his name, Shreder? Shreder. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, He put Kotaku, it out. Yeah. He, he documented it. I don't think he's at Kotaku anymore, but yeah, yeah. He's not. He's at Bloomberg now, yeah. That's right. Yeah, okay. For the record. Made the so, jump yeah. to the mainstream. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> as if Kotaku was a mainstream. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, it is, yeah. Everyone, everyone in the gaming space has heard of Kotaku, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, for Colin sure. made this very ironic point. Like, you know, the game, it's not about the coronavirus, obviously, but it's about a virus. And, um, you know, there's some sort of theories going about that the game was delayed because of the coronavirus. Right. That, and then, you know, because of that, because of the delay, uh, uh, the this guy or, or girl has, has, has leaked all this 
important information about the game and like it was you know and it was delayed because of it it's just like so much of it is about the about a virus and it's just also crazily ironic that it's all happening at the same time when this game was in production for five years like yeah they totally couldn't have seen saw that foresaw this coming no way that's such a good point because yeah like if in a counterfactual world where there isn't coronavirus, not only is the game, yeah, far more well received because we're still living in a kind of fantasy world, not a docu- <laughs> not a documentary, right? right. Um, you also potentially just release it, and the disgruntled person doesn't have the time to, because because uh, the main reason the game is right. delayed is because they can't get it on shelves, right? The game's done. They they That's it. they would have just flew through the release, no disgruntled, nothing. It was just you get away with it, like you know maybe Rockstar potentially did with Red Dead, and at that point the employee has nothing, has no power. They don't have anything. They they can yeah. It's like it's it's out. Everyone everyone's played it. Um, yeah. And and it's and I think you might be onto something there as well. There's something sinister about picking out all the major story points and leaking those. You know, it's mm-hmm. like they they definitely did the most harm they could. And, you know, it, maybe this is a question of, it, was there a more blunt instrument to, to poke Naughty Dog to punish, to not punish them, but like obviously pay them back a bit for whatever, yeah, yeah. To, for whatever poor conditions that were involved in the development of this in crunch time. Maybe they could have just released gameplay of non-essential story points to sort of say, hey, I could... You know, I, I don't know. I'm, talking, I'm not talking. That's like a man. warning shot. I see that. Yeah. Well, was there a was there a lighter way to do this than ruining the game for many people? It's like the thing I, I can't wrap my head around so much is like, so they're trying. They, they, if the if the motivation was to appeal against crunch culture, why would you release all of the hard work to hurt them? done in crunch? Do you know what I mean? So like, uh, people have like got been hospitalized for this. And then you're ready to just kind of leak it as, as if it's nothing. Leak mm. it and have the game not be as impactful as it could be for some. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think that person... Wouldn't you want to just... respect and honour their work? Well, I think at that point this employee must be so cynical about what they participated in because mm. of the conditions. I, I don't, I, it's impossible to really speculate, obviously, but I'm just saying... To answer that point, it's a good point you make. I would say that, like, I just maybe that person has stopped caring about, like, that, yeah, possibly, and, yeah, and that's why maybe I'm saying maybe there was a a different way to do this. Um, Get petitions going to stop crunch culture, not and unions, and you know, there's other ways to do it. I don't think this stops crunch culture. This does. No one's even thinking about crunch culture. Well, well, in, uh, but in potentially, that way. potentially, it could be that, you know. If this was the real cause, because it's it's hard to know what maybe that maybe this I'm right. wrong and it's suggesting that's the cause, but if um, you know you'd think other companies would see that and be like okay maybe we need to put in some limits to how we do this yeah. because we're going to generate this kind of cynical disgruntled person and we don't want that we want we want everyone to like and enjoy working here even when it comes to the times where we need the most dedication and the most manpower, we want people to really want to do it. We don't want to coerce them. We don't want to, you know, impose, you know, these rules about eating at your desk and sleeping. It's like, like, there should be kind of general... I mean, you shouldn't be sleeping at your work desk. That, that seems kind of absurd to me. That seems pretty... I mean, maybe if you're this in Silicon Valley and you're part of, like, a startup, that you're, like, 
very much at the center of, that's different. That's yours. You're building mm-hmm. something. But a lot of these people are just, they're just like uh, grunt employees, not to demean their role in the larger project. But this is to say that they're not, it wasn't their idea to make The Last of Us. It was, you know, Neil Druckmann, whoever the, you know, heads of Naughty The creative Dog. director, the yeah. producers, yeah. And so you're asking people to give a lot to not only work <clears> on your <throat> game, but to say, kill yourself for my game. Go, like, to the, to, for my thing. It's like, you can get people involved in a project. I don't think you should ask for that level of demo- devotion because it's not their thing. It's your thing. I, that's just my opinion of it, though. I don't know. This is pure speculation as well. Like, you know, could it be compounded by the fact that uh we are expected to be in quarantine were like this is i have no idea but was naughty dog in quarantine together were they encouraged not to leave the building in order to stop the spread Mm, right you know create traditional quarantine zones create a barrier where no nothing goes out and nothing comes in and so if they're quarantining in the office then it's kind of like, well, we might as well do some work in any given waking moment. I don't know. You no know, point going like, home. Yeah, right. So maybe that's it. Maybe they were encouraged to sleep in the in the office. So I don't know. Like, if that was the case, then those conditions are just really yeah, unfortunate. Right. And we are speculating, but I don't think we're speculating that far from the reality at most companies. I really don't. It, it's in, likely. In video yeah. games, this is unfortunately just... And, and I can understand how it even started. You know, it started as a kind of, again, like a Silicon Valley kind of like, this is my project and I have three buddies and we're just going to kill ourselves for this thing because we believe in it. But I, it feels like at scale that becomes ridiculous. Like it becomes, if you're asking, you know, hundreds of people to do that uh, on a daily basis to just not sleep, it's like that seems ridiculous. It's like yeah. you're, you're a company at that point. You're not just three dudes doing a thing it's like you need to have I, as you said unions and and rights and all this right stuff. And it's like that's not fair i'd like to think in my heart of hearts that they didn't say that they're not forcing people i'd like to think that their culture is more open and, it could be yeah and forgiving you know that i i just really hope it's more supportive than work 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 i don't think they're cracking the whip that hard but it's possible you know we none of us have an inside eye on it and that's what really uh makes it hard to draw any conclusions yeah yeah definitely definitely yeah because it's all speculation there's no hard evidence and, and i'm sure i hope you know in the near future we will learn what happened to the perpetrator what happened to you know and, and what what is really going on inside yeah that'd be interesting if we do i don't think we will i think this is it's still fresh news yeah i'm, I'm not sure yeah. if we will get like a cersei walking through the streets shame shame moment <laughs> i don't think we'll get that i don't know maybe could, happen. Could, be a, could be a war in the streets yeah you know. all right that seems like a good time to take a break do you want to do that beautiful sounds good man beautiful
talking about the war of art in this segment. It's a text by Stephen Pressfield, and it's a book that looks at the, I guess you could say, well, we'll get into it, like all the nitty gritty, but generally speaking, it's a guide to, you know, fixing your creative perspective on life, I suppose. Uh, that's something mm. like the subtitle of the book, you know, guiding your, your creative potential. Uh, it, it's uh, If you want it correctly... Yeah, give us the verbatim. It's break through the blocks and win your inner creative battles. So that's the subtitle. And I think before we just dive in, let's just talk about perhaps like how we came to the... So I got the book from um, Joe Rogan. I like heard it on his show. And apparently he just gives the book out, or he used to, to all his guests. He just used to have a stack of them. He just gave them away. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, okay, this might be a cool book. So I got it for myself and read it. Um, probably, I don't know, a couple of years ago. And I think the biggest takeaway was that, you know, this is so broad. Like, there are so many interesting ideas. And the book is written in a kind of weird style, too, because it's not really like a traditional chapter where you have, like, 10 to 20 pages. It's actually written like kind of scriptures where you have just a page and just, like, bolded, very, like, short, snappy, uh, memorable sentences. And they really cut to the point, really cuts to the meat of what needs to be said. So, like, what's your general impression of it? And how did you... I mean, I get... Actually, I recommended it to you, right? I, I talked Yeah, about oh, it. yeah. I'd never heard of it before oh, right. you. And, and The War of Art, a lot of people are probably saying, don't you mean The Art of War? <laughs> and um, by Sun Tzu. Sun and it's Tzu. like, I think it's... It's obviously a play on the title of that book. Uh... And, and that's what I thought you were saying at first and until I checked it out and realized it was a completely different book and written in present-day terms. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what you said were about cutting to the point of, and cutting through the meat, that's probably you know one of the most appealing parts to me. Um, the fact that it doesn't just beat around the bush like uh, a lot of other books that failed to catch my attention and and grasp my memory of, uh, of their titles. But, um, but yeah, cutting to the meat of it all, it makes it that much more memorable and, uh, more approachable, right? Like I think just having those half page, um, of text is, is very, uh, intriguing. It's a, it's very like adds emphasis, right? With space that it leaves at the end, like the space at the end of the page is like, space for your thoughts to arise from what you've just read um i love that and, it's kind of know, a book for the the modern era in that way right like it's kind of like designed yeah. for our short attention span and our you know in the, in the, <laughs> yeah, right it's kind of perfect for that because yeah like you said you'll read a a page and you just sort of can sit with it you don't have to compel yourself to turn the next one and it's asking very little of you to just begin reading a page in the first place because it's so easy to read and to the point and there's just a lot of meat as you said as you put it to cut into here a lot of meat to flavor it to, to <laughs> a lot of but meat yeah, you, you know you skip through all the fat the skin the hair <laughs> that's it that's it you cut right to the bone as they say cool. and uh so the book is divided into three quote-unquote books and i think he's called them books as you know again to sort of allude to the Art of War, and... It very well could be books. Right. Like, on their own, they could be... They could stand on it, so... And so it's split up into three, and they're entitled Resistance, 
and I think the next one's called Turning Pro, and mm. the third one is something like Invoking the Muses or something. Um, and it, yeah. yeah, is it that or like Beyond Resistance or something? Beyond like Resistance, I think. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, and the way it's divided up, we'll, we'll go through each book and we'll just talk about like the lessons that he tries to communicate. And so in the first book, he's really trying to define the idea of resistance, and he puts forth this premise that, hey, we all have a feeling. And I know what that feeling is, because I have it too. And it's a voice that says, the thing that you want to do, don't do it. Why? Because X, Y, Z, A, B, C, <laughs> right? All, like, and et cetera. All these reasons. And, and, and so he's just trying to capture that voice. And he's, he will spend all of this chapter in the first uh, element of the book unpacking all the ways in which this feeling captures our attention and diverts it from what we might want to be doing and why we bought the book in the first place, which is to do some creative thing. And that's kind of the... Change our lives. And yeah. Well, well, yeah, potentially. You know, he, he actually outlines at the beginning all the ways in which Resistance captures our attention, Resistance's greatest hits, and it's things like, you know, yeah. uh, the, you know starting any diet, there's Resistance doing any exercise plan, trying to develop any skill, any, as you said, yeah, changing your life in any way, trying to do some art yeah. or some new creative talent. There's always, oh, why would I, why should I start? People will laugh at me. I'll be embarrassed. I'll never get it done. You know, and there's this element of you won't even pick up a guitar if your dream is to be a rock star because you're so afraid of the failure and of, and that's, that's resistance, right? That's what he's trying to capture. And so what did you think were the best? Do you, did you want to mention a few ideas here? Uh, I've got a few I could bring up. Uh, did you want to go through the first uh, chapter on resistance here? Uh, yeah, I think like, you know, his uh, parallels of resistance to fear is really yeah. interesting um, and how fear underlines and fuels resistance. Um, you know, I, I, just overall, I, I love the, the fact that, you know, um, he has resistance as his enemy as like yes, a yeah. invisible enemy that everyone has and you know even if you don't even think that you have an enemy like if, if you think oh you're telling yourself i've got my life together it's um i don't i don't deal with resistance i don't know what that is and then you know he, he's going into it and he's talking about how it exists in everyone um all of us know it in one form or another and um as long as you have a body you are susceptible to feeling resistance. And, you know, if you read on, your eyes might be open to these kind of minute areas of your life that you've not really thought about, but in fact, they do contain resistance. Right. That's actually a really important point. You have to see it as an enemy. That's why there's this whole play on, as you said, the the art of... Uh, now I'm getting confused. The Art of War. <laughs> um, because that book is about is, is intended for generals in terms of how to defeat your opponent in The yeah. Art of War. And so that's, in, that's actually the most crucial element of Pressfield's point is that he wants you to, even if it's through metaphor or like invocation of just, you know, magical thinking, like you don't have to really believe that resistance is trying to kill you. But every time you feel resistance, you have to feel the pain of what you potentially could be making or what you could be doing. It's like you, you have to vividly connect with the opportunity cost that resistance will absorb from your life if you allow it in terms of all the, th all the potential that you could have been doing X, Y, or Z. Again, resistance will find a way to say, nah, let's just, let's just veg out. Let's just get Uber Eats. Let's just, 
<laughs> right? All sorts of shit. And and yeah. so here's one that I that I actually found not when I initially read it to be that useful, but I actually well, I'm gonna say that again. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for that. <laughs> <one>. <laughs> no, actually, we could just leave that in. Burps are welcome. Yeah, um, the the one I saw. <laughs> yeah, we're a burp friendly show. <laughs> We're not family friendly, but we're burp friendly. We're not cancel culture. No, of course not. There's um this point, yeah, it didn't strike me at first, but the more I played with the idea, the more uh, it's almost enchanting it got, and I've actually lost my sort of sensitivity to it. So it's something I it's a, I know it's a kind of muscle that you need to practice. But once resistance, once you start really transcending it and seeing it for the specter that it is. Uh, he mm. has this one chapter that puts it quite cleanly, I think. Resistance is infallible. And he says this, quote, We can use resistance. We can use it as a compass. We can navigate by resistance, letting it guide us to that calling or action that we must follow before all others. Rule of thumb, the more important a call or action is to our soul's evolution, the more resistance we feel toward pursuing it. And so once you settle with that, you actually can kind of welcome the resistance you feel to starting your day of writing or, uh, you know, playing around with whatever, you know, thing you're going to do or even just exercising. You can say, ah, great, I feel it because this is exactly what I'm supposed to be feeling if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And, it, and you can kind of co-opt its power a little bit. Um, and I thought, I thought that was a really uh, clean, like, way to put it in that way. I love that. Yeah. What you've just touched on there, resistance is like an indicator, it's a compass. It's beautiful because the thing is, um, and he makes the point that, you know, uh, we've been evolved by the tribal um, culture. You know, uh, our psyches are programmed by millions of years of hunter-gatherer evolution. And part of that um, makes us what we are today. And, and, and the aspect of that that shies us away from resistance is very much in our survival uh, impulses and and initiatives, and you know I, I've just I've actually just read another book um, on the wheel of life. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. No. But I'm sorry to go on a little bit of a tangent no. here. Do it. Um, but uh, so the wheel of life is uh, is a, a, a very much at the heart of uh, Buddha's teachings, and. Uh, there are six realms in which all of us reside in at any one point in time. And the realm that... I won't go into all the realms. This is a conversation about the world of art, not the wheel, wheel of life. But the realm in which I feel like a lot of us reside the animal realm. And that is one where we act like an animal. We go towards food when we see it. We seek shelter when we uh, are cold. You know, we kind of just listen to our bodies uh, impulsively, even though they might lead us astray and lead us to ignorance. And so um, what you've just said goes against that. Uh, approaching resistance head on, face first, is something that our evolution has taught us and encoded within us to say no. And we're saying no to that. It's very powerful. It's a very empowering thing to embrace resistance and yeah, to feel it and and not not um resist it. Not resist resistance. 
<laughs> exactly, actually. <laughs> yeah. You could put it as clearly as that. And yeah. that's interesting. I think you're kind of touching on where the book ends up, actually. And it gets to that point where he he talks about the idea of the muses, these uh, gods that were alongside Zeus, who were known for invoking a kind of madness in people, which we call creativity today, right? <laughs> and that's a great point because that's the point that Prestfield makes in a number of parts passages at the end of the text is that he says it's there's a kind of self-sustaining quality to breaking through that hedonistic impulse to satisfy the next primal urge and, yeah and, right yeah and and yeah. in transcending that that is transcendence and you get to as a momentary animal figure like you said as an animal consciousness you get to <laughs> This is this is the kind of religious element of creativity that p so many people just don't. They've just either lived a whole life with never connecting with it, or they just don't ever entertain like what the the potential for creativity to give you so much more of a basis in this life and like in a basis in your body. Because for a moment, you're not just you know Braden or Jamin or or just your you know label. You're you're this you're this motion. You're this thing. You're creating. Uh, words or you're you're putting like music or you're doing a film or it's like from or you're just exercising you're transcending your primal impulse to just rest <laughs> right like yeah. it can be as to avoid pain to avoid pain it can be as fundamental yeah. as that but once you decide that for instance pain is a necessary component of lifting weights you can be entranced by that resistance to a greater degree than you were before where you would just sort of shy away from it and and it's a kind of muscle because i know this from just parts of my life where i've just been more or less lazy where resistance really when once you start doing this regularly it becomes like second it becomes so like i've had parts of my life where I'm like why was that so hard because once i'm doing it i'm just doing it and it's like it's it's another module that'll take over in the mind where mm. you're putting off you're procrastinating for months about doing a thing you do the thing and then you're like i wasted so much time just thinking just torturing my mind about thinking about what was going to happen and when i did it it wasn't if any iota as bad as i was you know <laughs> obsessing about and i think that happens for a lot of people and this is a book on how to break that chain so it goes deeper than just your creative struggles it's just your as you said, your animalistic struggle against your yeah. other conscious urges, which is to create and to do other things that aren't exactly tied to survival. Yeah. So, well, what wow. about this one? So he actually wrote about how resistance almost stopped him writing the book, right? And this is a kind of tongue-in-cheek, kind of <laughs> meta -passive. It's very meta, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So he says, uh, he quote, Resistance also told me that I shouldn't seek or instruct or put myself forward as a purveyor of wisdom, that this was vain, egotistical, possibly even corrupt, and that would work harm to me in the end. That scared me. It made a lot of sense. What finally convinced me to go ahead was simply that I was so unhappy not going ahead. I was developing symptoms. As soon as I sat down and began, I was okay. End quote. So that actually, mm. I, I picked that out incidentally. It was just in front of me. But that captures the idea I was trying to express pretty perfectly. It's like, that's what it is. The second you just do it, you're like, yeah. oh, this is fine. You realize you can do it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I was realize obsessing over it. Your resistance is really an illusion. It's just there. It's this kind of like, so, uh, yeah, psychic. 
shield and barrier to like that's keeping you in this bubble when everyone's in this bubble realm right and that's that's the animal realm that's kind of that as well right right and you're not breaking through and um yeah i remember seeing like you know the comfort zone thing i'm I'm sure a lot of us have seen the thing where it's like your comfort zone is like everything that you know it's food it's water it's it's feeling pleasurable stimulus and it's watching movies and going outside of that it it's exercising, it's meeting new people, and it's like, it's, when you get out of that comfort zone, you now enter in the growth zone. Um, yeah. And that's exactly what he's talking about there. To reinforce what you're saying about um, the, uh, just just backtracking a little bit, going back to uh, appro- like approaching resistance confidently, um, and, mm. and how he drew these parallels between resistance and fear. Um, I love this part. This part really stuck out to me as well. Um, so he says, fear is good. Like self-doubt, fear is an indicator. Fear tells us what we have to do. And on that same page, he goes on to say, talk about how actors won't take the same role that they've done in the past. And they claim that they take it because they're petrified of a new, they're absolutely scared to take on this new character, but that's exactly what's drawing them into it. And that in itself is is uh, bolstering their repertoire, their experience, right. their sense of character. It's a very character. It's a very character building activity to as a actor to not just go be an Adam Sandler and, and be a Billy Madison <laughs> in every, everything that he does. Oh, whoa. but no. Since then, to give him to give him credit, to give him credit, he has done. Some more serious roles. Smirch the great name of Adam Sandler. 50-50 and funny people and yeah. those aren't in the slightest bit so funny. <laughs> or maybe some. I, love, I like, yeah. yeah. But yeah, you know, 90s Adam Sandler, he didn't really do anything else. Jim no, Carrey's a Fair enough. Yeah, no, definitely I'm more sorry. multifaceted there, for sure. Right, but the point you make is, is actually really important because, like, that's, there's a kind of, yeah, as you said, like, actors, they embody the role but there's a kind of destruction that you have to welcome in any mm. creative pursuit because so much of what's good is what's left over after you throw away 90% of what you've done. Like, it's so, so much of it is pruning and just being unsatisfied and, and being okay with saying, this is not good, I need to discard it and get to the next level. If you're too attached, to, like if Shakespeare got so attached to his first story that he just only ever marketed that and he just never moved on from his first piece. You don't get to have Shakespeare and, oh, sorry, well, Hamlet and Macbeth. That's <laughs> yeah. so true. Yeah. That's so true. Because if he would have become attached, it's kind of like you limiting yourself. Exactly, yeah. 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 Um, actually, I was actually I gotta... thinking about this today. I'm sorry, this is this is just uh, sparked this Go. memory. Do it. So today I was thinking that uh, working with a guy, he had a lot of... Um, he kept saying, he kept calling them pet peeves, and he, he had a lot of them. And I was thinking, I don't really have many to reciprocate and give you many. It's a lot but, of pets. You know, he was kind of, exactly right. So that's what I was thinking. He's actually kind of uh, manifested all these pets within his psyche that he has to take care of now. You know, and and yeah. once he has these pets that he has to take care of, he's putting his, himself out there to be. Uh, susceptible to suffering. I, well, I mean, look, to go with your analogy, I mean, 
the only way to keep pets around is you got to feed them. You got to right. you got to take care of them. You is that don't... why they call them pet peeves? Though? I, <laughs> I mean, don't that know. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. Eh? Yeah, I never because uh, you got to nurture them. You don't just they don't just have them. You got to you got to feed that hate of you know whatever minor annoyance is giving you purpose in this moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. That, that's what I. That's what I thought of when you said, you know, attachment, and yeah. it seems to me like if you just detach, and easier said than done. But detach and not put so, such a strong sense of essence of it on everything. There's a sense of freedom that comes from it. Right. Okay. And actually, Prestwood does bring that up, and he quotes some Hindu texts to make this point. And basically, that is captured by the idea that you're entitled to the fruits not the fruits of your labor so you're entitled to the journey of making it that's 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 you that's what you are but that's what i meant before as well like you made that point much better than i did where that that's the destructive component right because you have to let go on like on some level like when you get to especially when you're talking about creative genius like Jimi hendrix or like pink floyd or even mm. biggie smalls right people that you could just poke and say give me the best lyric and or give me the best rhymes that I've ever heard. You could just poke Biggie Smalls and, or Tupac and just say, like, give me the best shit I've ever heard. And they could do that because they had such a capacity to generate and to discard and to just keep generating. Like, the path that they walk is non-stop creation. Like, Tupac had something like mm. hundreds of unreleased tracks when he died. That's why we keep getting albums, yeah. right? That's why we keep right. getting mixtapes. There's, there's almost more songs released after his death than there was before. <laughs> yeah. That's, and there's a cynical element to that, of course, where, where these yeah. you know record companies are just exploiting right. the man in his grave. Yeah. But that, Turning it, them out. It speaks to that level of, like, you don't get to... And, and maybe you could say on, on one level, Tupac is an interesting example because he was maybe corrupted by the fruits of his labors to some degree uh, towards the end of his life. Not to say that... I, look, I'm a huge Tupac admirer. I think he's mm. very talented, but, you know... Troubled, but he definitely changed. Troubled personal life and definitely changed, definitely changed. Yeah. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, when you get that level of creative genius in any a a element of life, like Isaac Newton, though he's heralded as a scientific genius... He's a creative genius because he was an innovative thinker about the natural world, right? This is back when we don't even have a term called science. We call it natural. Like Isaac Newton's first text was uh, ruminations on natural philosophy, something like that. Like it was oh, called, wow. it was still called natural philosophy because it was about generating new concepts of the natural world. It wasn't about testing things. We weren't even at that point yet. And so there's just uh, something to be said about the mind that can generate new concepts about how the world is about how to see something about how to you know play an instrument like Jimi hendrix he took the electric guitar and did and did distortion and did things with it that no one had ever just thought of doing um there's just a there's something to be said for that specific kind of human intelligence i think and can you say the same thing about elon musk with the absolutely looking at absolutely. he looks at cars and he goes hold up i can fix that and the thing with cars is, and, and guitars are probably even a better example. Well, batteries been around longer, even the, for, for Musk, it's it's more battery power as well. Oh like he, yeah, even he that, has completely yeah. changed how battery power and over and some people years, cars have kind of been the same. Yeah, and They're some all, people some people do argue that Musk actually just used the car thing as a way to innovate in batteries because that's what the car is. It's a giant, yeah. you know, battery that has just <laughs> been smart car. It's a yeah, exactly yeah. Yeah. 
but honestly, if anyone was serious about, okay, I want to be a stand-up comedian. I'm starting now. How do I do it? This book will tell you. I want to be a world-famous fiction writer, and I want to start right now. This book will, like, will get you there. So it's like, if you're willing to walk the path, it's there, and this book can show you it in that sense, where you do it on a daily basis, you, pr you invoke the muses, even if you don't have a religious bent, you take this religiously as a daily serving of your creative potential that otherwise wouldn't have existed if you weren't committing yourself to a craft, right? Or a, or a pastime. And, and this is one thing I think mm. is, is kind of maybe a testament to where we are in history. Because a lot of people our age, let's be honest, men, uh, are unfortunately, I don't I want to say squandering, but I, I'll speak for myself. When I play a video game for seven hours a day, though it may be fun, if that's all I'm doing for the whole week or for the whole month, I am so I am so aware of the opportunity cost of all that richness because so much of art, it, to put it to put it bluntly, was created by frustrated young men in their cultures that were just trying to you know the the most radical ideas, um, whether it's you know. Uh, Newton famously was like an incel. He was like a virgin that like didn't get along with me most people. Very frustrating person. But yet he's you know uh, we herald him as the god of calculus and the father of modern science. You know, so there's something to be said about channeling your energy in the right way, whether it's creative or just your attention. However you want to put it, energy is maybe a bit too much of a flimsy word. But you know, if you are just using most of your downtime to just consume whether it's games, TV, whatever, and you're not using Media. That, Yeah, and you're not using that time to generate. I think if you incorporate just an, just some element of generation, it doesn't have to be every day. It could just give your life more meaning because I think a lot of people they are when they are just playing video games all the time, they they feel that void. They feel that lack of like what am I what should I be doing? Yeah. And, that, and what I'm trying to say is that question goes away once you incorporate a healthy level of creative craftsmanship right um, so true do you agree think, with that yeah, you've hit it really well there um well, i don't think so but thank you no, 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 that... <laughs> i think it's mostly rambly this time but that's okay <laughs> give me something to work with yes, so yes. um yeah that, that's so true it, it's kind of like you know you're just you're just kind of at the passive at the receiving end of everything yeah and when that happens you feel like it's just one way and you're just like this husk that yeah sucks things in and like you said there's a void there and it's unfulfilling yeah. like at the very baseline it's unfulfilling to just sit there and be a zombie and be at the whim of whatever's on the tally you know i could i, I could see that all around me um in this world and it's quite sad because they these people don't realize their potential and this book points to that 100 percent um, you know, like I didn't even think I was going to enjoy this book. Like I, mm -hmm. when I kind of picked it up, I was in that zone of, um, consuming, uh, everything in sight. And, um, this book, what, upon reading it just hooked me and, and reeled me in even more because I didn't even real, I couldn't even like, I realized that this part of me existed, but yeah. it, and, and he talks about it. It's like living the life unlived. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How good is that? That's. It's I like, think you're actually we all capturing. Have this unlived you're totally capturing my uh, experience as well, where I would say before this book, 
I was a not create. I wasn't a creative person. Like I would, I would happily sign on that label for some mm. strange reason. But then you realize mm. that your creative intelligence is in all aspects of your life, and you can choose to channel it if you are accept the uh, humiliation, you might say, of accepting your resistance and finding ways to outsmart it, uh, transcend it, and all that comes from accepting what you are which is an ape driven around by a limbic system and once you accept that you can say okay well how do i how do i outsmart out with the ape right <laughs> like uh, mm. that guy that <laughs> celebrity chef who passed away anthony bourdain had some quote that went viral online and i've seen it in the meme a few times where it says something like you know i spend oh wait uh, i i would i would much rather be you know, the guy who's high on the couch, who's just eating Cheetos, who's watching shows, and I spend every, you know, waking moment of my life trying to outsmart and outwit that guy so I can actually do the things I want to do. But I want to do that at all times, basically, is what he's saying, is that yeah. you always want to, you know, just be in the state. That's what the ego is, to just be, you know, where you are, do nothing. And that's fine. Like, what you're saying about, like, lots of people are doing that. I think it's fine to do that if you if you don't have this other lingering question of but what if if that what if is there you, you have to figure out a way to to get you have that. to entertain it explore it yeah well otherwise it's run with it otherwise you can't enjoy yourself you just like you feel like <laughs> you're like uh, indulging in a very like sadistic way like you're like oh, i shouldn't be doing this not That's sadistic i suppose masochistic yeah. but yeah it's not like it's, it's not sad yeah exactly like you know you there's no shame in sitting down and being high and eating Cheetos and whatever. Like, that. that's fine. But, yeah, as soon as you start questioning that, as soon as you start having doubts yeah. about spending your time this way, it becomes more depressing and empty. And yes. Yeah, there is this feeling of, I could be doing something else. I could be using my time more valuably. And that feeling goes away just by balancing it out with, Oh, this is yeah. this really gives me, you know, I really enjoy just sitting down and reading a book that gets me out of my head. It's like, and that and that might not be a creative craft, but it's like a it's a thing you could do. Maybe maybe you know, I know I, for me a long time, you know, when I was learning how to write essays, I actually in retrospect a hugely creative component was like the rhythm of sentences. Like I would get a I would get a high off like, oh, this sounds really good when you put it this way. Like it could be as benign as that. Like you guys have heard the beats on the show. They're they're just they're garbage as far as I'm concerned. They're not they're not anything worth listening to by any human, right? I on one level I feel that because that gets me to just get out of my comfort zone and try different things. And on another level I recognize that, oh actually well you know, I, I've gotten better and you can see progress and it's like all that becomes massively rewarding. And it's like once you just accept that humiliation and destruction is a part of that and resistance is a necessary component to making anything worth making, you can really, I think, like approach it differently. Uh, and that's just uh, something I think if you can benefit from, then get this book. Yeah. Boom. and Oh, that's, yeah, well put. Yeah, I love that. I think I think also like it's not only about creativity as well. Like it does touch on every aspect of your life. Like you said, um, you know, just reading a book. It's not inherently creative. You're not putting anything out there. But um, you, you kind of have this understanding of a deeper truth that we all feel this. We all kind of um, 
we've read book as as a human race we've read books for hundreds of years now yeah and you know to dishonor that is to kind of dishonor a part of the human race you know if if you hold this a, a simple act of reading a book in high regard and honor that it it brings on a greater sense of appreciation for it for the fact that it exists Absolutely. And resist, yeah, and resistance needs to be a part of that. Like resisting reading a book is something that a lot of people feel. Yeah. They feel like, oh, it makes me tired. And yeah. I can't do it. And I'm not, books, know, I'm like not book I, smart. I keep looking at my phone. That's a big yeah. one as well. Yeah, 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 I can't do it. I yeah. keep looking at my phone. And it's like they just, or, or they you, just uh, don't even try. You can adopt labels, you know, as you go through this reality uh, roller coaster. You can adopt labels like, oh, I'm not book smart. Or like, you know, oh, it's like, oh, Maths was never my thing. It's like you can, you can put up all these barriers to like trying and and, and oh, actually I didn't get to mention this actually when we were getting into the meat. So let me go back to the meat and then we can wrap Not it up. Yet. But this is <laughs> okay. This is the other element that I found to be very instructive. And to go back to your point about Buddhism, this is a central point I think with the attitude one should adopt to their mental life and meditation generally is that one needs to adopt the attitude of an infant. Like try to imagine what it was like when you would just. When all your creative potential was just reaching out and grabbing a finger, why would you do that? Or like, or think about the the sounds. Like Alan Watts makes this point all the time. What's the first sound an infant makes? Da, that, just pointing, just going that, 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 that. Like mm. the kind of when you first got, you know, um, what would it be like when you were a kid? Like when you first got Legos. Like what was that creative energy like? You you need to try and capture that when you approach something new. So you shouldn't be overwhelmed with shame or embarrassment because maybe you struggle with judgment. In yeah. judgment particularly, yeah. Like it maybe mm. you struggled with math in high school and now you need to learn it or you need to or you're trying to discover something new about it. Or you know, maybe you weren't um, good at music, hence me, and you found that actually you enjoy uh, some you found you can find pathways to doing what you want to do and I found it through hip hop because hip hop music generation is quite simple it's it's all based on sampling and 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 kind of taking stuff that's already been done and cutting it up and finding new ways to to say it and so there, what I'm trying to say is you can be as talentless <laughs> as me and still find pathways to nurturing some creative skill that potentially grows into whatever it grows into um, and to some degree, this podcast is an attempt to do that too, right? We're both willing to record this conversation because there's an element of putting something out. It's it's like we're not just doing the the regular kind of quarantine, which I suppose is just like Netflix all day, <laughs> eat all day. Um, yeah, like we're, we're making Groundhog Day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? But the the people who are viewing it as Groundhog Day are viewing it, um, viewing every challenge that arises as an opportunity for them to grow and learn and to kind of uh, shut that down before it has a chance to evolve and change you. Um, those kind of people, I feel, you will find them saying that they're bored. Bored, yes, bored. And boredom sets in a lot more for these people. Um, I, I yeah, read it in, that's interesting. there's a quote by, I think, Dorothy Parker. She says, um, curiosity is the cure for boredom, and there's no cure for curiosity. Oh, I love yeah. that. Yeah, that's awesome. that's perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. There's no end to curiosity. You know what that says to me as well is that it takes effort to be bored. 
Right, and yeah. I and I agree with that. It takes effort. It does not take effort to just look at what you're looking at without being this. Okay, so this is a part of meditation too. Like you need the curiosity of what is your mind like when you put away all the concepts. Like you've been building. If you start with meditating when you're 60 and 70, I'm sure it's you know far more difficult to break through because you have so much concepts, the so many so much conceptual baggage you've accrued. But if you start young enough, you can see oh. All I've done is just accrue a bunch of concepts. And if you drop them all, if you have the mental capacity to drop them all for a moment, you could see the world through infant eyes. And and once you're able to take that attitude towards picking up the guitar and just playing some strings because they sound cool. I don't know scales. I don't know music theory. Who gives a shit? It sounds cool. That's what, that's <laughs> what like, why do you, like, imagine what the first, why did the first person make a violin? Did they do it because they were trying to map out music theory? Like, no, they're just like, oh, this sounds cool. Let's do this. It's like, it's pure mm. curiosity. And like, that's well put. Like, it takes effort to be bored. It does not take effort to just, you know, pick up a thing and start plucking at it because it sounds cool. Yeah. Just bring yourself back into your infant's mind and go, that. That. <laughs> and, and then embrace it. Pick it up. Play with it. Play That's it upside that. down. Like, that, there you go. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> wouldn't have inhabited all every corner of the earth if it wasn't for what's over there. Yeah, exactly. What's beyond that? Getting back oh, to Captain we Cook. <laughs> we reached, you know, 10,000 kilometers. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, 100 kilometers of sea in between yeah. this land and the next. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're not going to swim it. So what are we going to do? Exactly. Build a boat. Build a boat, Build a baby. Raft. Fly. I don't know. You know, all these crazy ideas. And the, the fact that, like, the attitude that we've um, completely mapped out our world is so uh, repressive, you know? Oh, everything's been explored. Everything's been done before. So it's like, what am I to do then? I'm just here the next kind of generation and just pass on my genes because just subject to whatever's out there already. You know? A lot Can't of people think that, don't they? Like a lot of people think that and they're not aware of the mystery that's all around them all the time and the mystery that comes from, uh, as, you, as the book explains, invoking the muses. Like I'll, I'll, I'll especially have this feeling, especially if you spend time on something, like I've spent maybe like a couple months on like a beat when I really obsess with it. And by the time it's done, because it's, because it's the culmination of so many tiny little changes you don't remember how you get there. It's like there's, there's, there is an element of being, <laughs> even if it's metaphorical, you have to accept on some level that if you're a rigid rationalist, just take it purely on metaphorical grounds. There is something that happens when you commit to experimenting creatively and saying anything goes. Like, I don't care if I don't know, you know, the mainstream version of how music is supposed to work. I don't care if I don't know how to write an essay that professors will accept. Doesn't matter. Just start doing it and there is a something that will take over that isn't it doesn't have to be divine but there is an element of human intelligence that you can access that isn't necessarily available when you're mm. just staring at it from the outside in when you're staring at it from the outside in you're like how did hendrix figure that out or how did shakespeare figure out how to say this in one you know perfect passage well even he doesn't know to some degree that's the point it's right like, yeah, right <laughs> there's a yeah. kind of mystery that comes along with trying to be the the best at something there's a kind of path that opens itself up the mystery is there if you're willing to find it and i think 
it's a shame the people that you're describing can't see that like or just or just they're so satisfied in the fact that the, everything's explained everything's been figured out this is maybe a problem that modern science needs to address at some level because you're absolutely right there's a sense in which we know too much and we've become yeah. we've become it's the information age that's what we've been but, coined but but no one's talking about what what's going to happen when all the information is available and no more mystery remains for people that aren't willing to find it when the mystery is obvious where it's like oh we're just a tribe and the trees blow and there's berries like how did this all come together anything goes like any explanation will work but now we know so much about or what we think we know so much about the mm. natural world and we've become very satisfied in that knowledge that we don't have the mystery of how does it all go together and that yeah. is, it's not motivating enough for so many people like you were describing where they're just like, no, nah, we know. And I'm just this ape. And I'm, all I'm here, all I'm doing here is waiting to go back to wherever I was before. <laughs> there's no, there's no purpose to finding the, the vigor in your life or finding the, the, the purpose. If, I mean, purpose yeah. is such a trite concept. You can't even talk yeah. about it without, you know, a bit of a smirk, but. I don't know. I think you're, well, you're religion has kind of left that off. I think. Yeah, but you're, hitting on, your you're hitting on a very, a very important point. A yeah. very important point that, like, a lot of atheists feel that way. A lot of atheists feel that there's no mystery left, and they just feel like that's kind of nihilistic, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. But I think nihilism is like the the defining feature of our generation. Like, so many people yeah. just because of the internet, especially like the especially meme humor. It's so, like. Yeah. It's suicidal it's so like like uh you know I've, I've heard kids as young as nine ten saying jokes about killing myself or and i know it's joking but there is a, there is a kind of nihilism that you know young people are dealing yeah. with because we know so much about how corrupt you know so many things are and unfortunately if you yeah one but one pathway to transcending that is not to call out you know all of the corruption in the world or, or like, or to aspire to like, you know, change the world. You can change your approach to your attention, and you can find, you know, other things to occupy your human capacity. It doesn't have to be, you know, reading the news every day, or just, uh, you know, watching whatever reality TV show you like to binge for Schreidenfreude, um, whatever. But you know, mm. it's all wrapped up into this societal narrative well right like yeah when you get lost in that you lose yourself you lose yeah 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 yeah. that's 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 transcendence right there yeah that's yeah that's a great point yeah because because you're no longer now thinking about your problems it's like no we've got to fix climate change (laughs) it's like but but maybe fix your problems like maybe (laughs) maybe figure out a purpose to you that's that's the crucial thing so many young people are finding purpose in these big amorphous political issues and the truth is yes those are issues but you need a life like you need and and if if you really do think it's an issue sing about it baby get me motivated like let me feel it like but you're not going to make me feel it by just you know standing on a podium and holding a sign i'm sorry it's just not or blocking traffic in the city you're not gonna (laughs) but if you want to touch my heart and soul touch my heart and soul make a thing like i guess that's why creative disciplines are so necessary and why they're disciplines because they channel that angst and that existential human energy in a healthy direction and it's like you get to you get to grow and you get to you know maybe you get to be comfortable with the idea that death is involved you're always discarding you're always saying this is not good enough try again try again get better Uh, what am i missing is there a new pathway is there a new technique i'm not seeing do i need to try yeah you're constantly thinking about these anxieties and your insecurities. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. We're always worried about how, like, we could be using our time better. Yeah. You know, that is such a tough question. How does one use their time wisely in any given moment? In any given moment, yeah. Yeah. You know? Let alone being stuck at home and having all the vices (laughs) right next, you know, in your pantry, in your fridge. They're all right there. You know, you don't get, like, at least before you got the freedom of leaving your house to go be productive. You you at least got to cut the tether from you to your fridge. So you weren't, you know... (laughs) (laughs) Distract <laughs> yourself. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 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 But now yeah, you can't you do it. All these uh, new alcoholics are they oh. all? Uh, are they all um, congregating on Zoom for their AA <laughs> meetings? <laughs> because they can't be in the same. That's place. yeah. That's another thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Because if you're not, if you're not really occupying your attention, or if you weren't doing it before, you will just fall into the old kind of patterns, right? You will because. You know, they're they're all into there. your pleasures, into yeah. your temptations that were always already available before. But yeah, like you like you said, you get distracted by leaving the house by uh, the motions of life, yeah. and so we go through these motions and but, and you know feel like when we. I, I mean, I'm just talking to the average Australian, but the, you know, when we come home after a long day at work, you know, we, we're drinking a beer that in our minds we should have been sipping on hours ago. We, we should have been, you know, this is this is a, a long deserved drink, you know? And it's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that really well, that's, that's reality? the problem, right? It's like now we're all, we don't get the privilege of being able to change the environment around us. We have to be stuck in the same environment and yeah. yet still live up to these standards that, you know, we don't want to just be endlessly going full Roman empire all the time into our hedonistic, you know, pleasures. We want to have some, measure of balance and that only comes from a level of you know being able to manage your mind keep it free of drama keep it free of as you said pet peeves and sort of like little frustrations you know not getting upset by the minor things and also seeing the broader picture maybe seeing that like there's a path that i'm walking whether it be in my career or in my human development developing my human potential that's sort of the point that Pressfield makes too we might end on this because he makes that very clear it's it's about developing your human potential in the creative mm. journey and it's not really about fame or money you might never ever get paid no one no might someone might not ever tell you that it's what you did was good or pat you on the head but that's not what it's for it's it's the journey that you take in creating whatever you whatever it is you create and and as that changes you as a person that's what it's for that's developing that potential side of you that otherwise wouldn't have existed if you just played another 10 hours of world of warcraft right so we'll, i think or, we'll or uh, call of duty call of duty exactly yeah yeah, yeah. so we could yeah. uh wrap it there do you have any final thoughts you want to give on Pressfield's the war of art before we leave our listeners uh well what, what you just said you know not even doing it for money um did he bring up picasso at all because i th- isn't he wasn't he the artist that painted so uh, many yeah. valuable paintings I think so, but when yeah. he was alive they weren't valuable at all right. he couldn't sell them right. for 10 shackles on the on the street yeah. and now uh, since his death they're absolute like he's well known he's world famous isn't that amazing as well yeah those stories blow your mind because yeah that's right and and, and the and Picasso himself would have had to have the attitude that the artist had which is that I just do this for me it's like it's not for anyone like Maybe on some level he's like, well, it'd be nice if someone appreciated it, but it's like that almost doesn't mm. have to matter. Like, and that's why I think a lot of contemporary, a lot of popular art right. nowadays, it, it's just popular for popular's sake. You know, we don't have a 
a fair competition in the art that wins out. It's like it's it's more, you know, what does what's Hollywood think is going to make another, you know, big check, right? And then there's not the same experimentation, you might say, as there once was in our artistic, you know, popular music, popular films, popular TV. You have to go to like Netflix or HBO to get the really gritty, edgy stuff. Mm. Even then, like, you know, when Game of Thrones does come out and is experimental and is great, by the end, they've become a parody of themselves. They've become the cliched, you know, uncreative, ungenerative, you know, thing that that unfortunately it became. But there you go. So that sounds like a good place Mm. to wrap up today's mate date. If you enjoyed the show, that's great. Please tell a friend, tell a mate, get them on board. You've got to have a mate date because, you know, we're all stuck at home. So don't leave your mates too dry. Get them in, get them wet. <laughs> got to practice being social for when we're allowed to be. For when we are legally mandated. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And there Imagine a, a party full of hermits. <laughs> exactly. They probably wouldn't talk to each other much. What's going to happen as well? We all just got to like, just like, it, I feel like there's going to be such a lack of human physical connection that we're just going to like i don't know form big hugging circles <laughs> spread the virus uh, as much as we can sounds beautiful to me sounds very heartwarming and lovely beautiful there you go people uh we'll see you next week for another mate day awesome.